Too many churches are manufacturing a fake move of God. Should that be a line of fellowship? Are you ready to face the truth? Face the Truth is the weekly podcast from the Truth Church of Olathe, Kansas, with our pastor and Bible teacher, Bishop Gregory Riggin. Thank you to everyone who is listening. I trust that today's episode will be a blessing to all those who tune in. Many churches are giving a lot of attention to the entertaining elements of a church service and forsaking the necessity of God's Spirit. Modernizing the decor of the church is not wrong, but if the improvements are made to draw the attention to human deeds rather than God, they are sinful. In this series, Bishop Riggin will address the actions that are all too common in mainstream churches as they seek to appeal to the masses rather than putting their attention on pleasing God. Hold off on making judgments and join us as we talk about a subject that will either strengthen your position or make you rethink your course. Bishop, there's a trend among churches to create an atmosphere by making changes to the sanctuary lighting. We see them painting the ceilings black, they have the strobe lights, they have smoke machines. Is this a dangerous direction for apostolic churches to take? Well, let me start out by giving an answer that probably the proponents of doing these things would give. The reason I do that is because there is some value to what they say. Their answer is going to be, well, everything we're doing today was once innovative and modern and pushing the envelope to some degree for what, you know, our forefathers did. I get this kind of response sometimes when I start talking about the dangers that I believe are inherent in certain types of modern music, even when brought into Christian circles. The answer that proponents give is, well, every old song was once a new song, and you're just against new songs and and whatever. But that's not the point that I'm wanting to make in any of this. Because yes, if we want to go back to Pentecost, they didn't have electric lights. They didn't have microphones. We're using forms of technology today that they knew nothing about. And even in the early days of Pentecost, as certain forms of technology were introduced, there were men that had concerns and preached against it. I can remember not that many years ago, being at camp meetings where men were just beside themselves in preaching against the internet, using it in any fashion, using it in any way at all. I can remember them more or less goading preachers during camp meetings, telling them, preach against the internet, preach against the internet, you know, Hmm. shouting it from the platform while they're sitting there and somebody else is preaching. Now, I didn't take that stand. And it's, it's been my policy to weigh things out, not to jump on every bandwagon that comes along, including preaching against every bandwagon that comes along. And I've watched a lot of my peers do that, especially in conservative circles. You start running with conservative people. You hear them preaching against things. You start feeling this pressure to preach against it because they're preaching against it. Right. My philosophy has been, I don't ever want to back down. Once I've made a stand, 
I don't want to come back and start embracing something that I've taken a stand against. To me, that's a dangerous precedent because then where does it stop? And secondly, it in some ways, I think, puts doubts in the minds of the saints that, okay, if he was wrong when he preached against that, how many other things that he's preaching against is he one day going to come back and say he's wrong about? So I've tried to be very balanced and I've tried to weigh things out before I just get up and preach against it. I wanted to have some real biblical reasons, some biblical precepts that would govern the stance that I take because the Bible's not going to change. And if I've got a biblical reason for what I'm doing, if I've got a biblical principle that I'm building on, those principles won't change. So I... I'm not one that just comes out and preaches against every new fad. I wanted to preface my remarks with that so that our listeners would know that I'm not just going to get up and say, okay, I don't like this because this is new. That's never been the case for me. And in fact, I've been called liberal because I was willing to use some newer things. Believe it or not, there was a time when other men in Kansas called me a liberal because I used PowerPoint. Hmm. I would put PowerPoint slides on a projector. And there were men in Kansas that felt like that's, that's just too much technology in the church. So I was a liberal because I allowed that. The fact that I allowed internet, there were men that considered me liberal. The fact that I didn't preach against every form of video available. Now, I've set guidelines. I've, I've tried to make it clear to the church that I pastor that here are the guidelines. We don't watch just anything and everything. And there are restrictions. There are things we need to avoid. But at the same time, I've never had a problem with, for instance, a home video. When my daughter was born, my first daughter was born, this was 1981, I actually had a home movie camera. And these were the old eight millimeter. Uh, there was no sound to it. And I've got videos of her as a newborn. And there were men that felt like I was liberal because I allowed that. I've never seen it that way. To me, there's no difference. If it's something I would watch in person, then I don't have a problem watching it after it's been recorded and played back. Now, having said that, I am conscientious about videoing a service. That, to me, is, a, is another category altogether for a lot of reasons, one of which is I have yet to see anybody use video that it didn't in some way affect the quality of worship for the people. In fact, when the big issue hit Pentecost several years ago with a couple of men in Texas that started pushing to start advertising on television, their churches were known to be worshiping churches. But once they started getting on television, that didn't translate well mm -hmm. to their crowds.
And so they started instructing their people, if you feel like you really just need to dance or you need to do some of these things, go off into the prayer room and do it. But don't do it in the sanctuary. Wow. They were worried about the optics of it. The optics of it bothered them. And so they started, you know, putting some restraints on worship and it affected them. And and the fact is, my worship is between me and God, and it's not something that I want broadcast for everybody. So there are limits that I've set when it comes to video. But I don't just preach against it. It's not a patent, total blackout rule against video. And so there are men that felt like I was liberal because of that. So for our listeners, I want them to understand that I'm not one of those guys that just takes a stand against every new fad that comes along. I'm thankful for some new things that have come along. I'm thankful we've got air conditioning. I'm thankful Amen. that somebody started padding the pews. Amen. I can remember going to church without padded pews. I can remember when there was no carpet on the floor. I can remember when there was no air conditioning in the building. I'm old enough to recollect those things. I'm thankful for those innovations. All right, I appreciate them very, very much. So I'm not against every new fad. But I do think there are dangerous trends that are evolving right now that I refuse to be a part of. And what you've mentioned with blackening the ceilings, or not necessarily just the ceiling, but the walls, and the the colored lighting, and in some cases, fog machines... And then putting up video screens all over the platform, not just, not just something to show scriptures on the wall, but for videographic backgrounds. Those things concern me. And the reason they concern me is this. I've got to ask, where did the trend start? Who began doing this and for what reason? You would be hard-pressed to prove to me that people did this as a result of prayer, fasting, commitment to God. You'd be hard-pressed to convince me that people did it because they felt like this is going to help us reach the lost. I don't think that's the real reason behind this. The reason behind it, to the best of my ability, first of all, it comes to us from the charismatic movement. They're the ones who started this. That ought to bring red flags, if nothing else does. Who begins a trend, where the trend starts. You know, this may be extreme, but just to kind of explain my point, I can remember my pastor getting up and preaching against men cutting off their sideburns. That was kind of a fad at one time. I think this was about the mid-80s, something like that, where it became a fad that men would cut their sideburns off at the top of their ear. And they'd just have this straight haircut that, Mm -hmm. that went straight across with no sideburn. And the reason my pastor preached against it is because a missionary had come home from overseas and said that in his country... That was the way homosexuals identified one another from a distance. If they saw another man with no sideburns, that was their symbol, that this man is also homosexual. 
And so that's where the trend started. And somehow it came to America, whether it had that meaning in America or not, I don't know. But I know my pastor was convinced enough that he made a big deal out of it. And he told us to have sideburns, but, but to keep them short. Because just before this, the fad was all the way to the chin. You'd right. wear your sideburns. We called them pork chops. That's right. They, they looked like a pork chop on the side of your face. And that was a fad. And, and again, you know, we're, we're people that are not given to balance. I think I've talked about this in previous episodes. Balance is not inherent within us. We tend to go to extremes, and we see this, where we go from the fad of pork chop sideburns to no sideburn right. at all. There's no middle ground. Uh, same thing has been true with hair, hairstyles. We've watched men go from long hair to now we've got all these guys that are shaving their heads. Yeah. Why can't we just find a middle ground and stay there? Why do we have to try to adjust to every fad that comes along? What's the purpose behind it? This is just me. I'm losing my hair, all right? I'm, my hair's getting really thin on top. I've had a bald spot in the back for a long time. But you're not going to catch me shaving my head. It's just not going to happen. I want to do things in moderation, whatever I do. I don't want to go to extremes no matter. And I'm not saying it's a sin. I hope you understand what sure. I'm saying. I'm not saying that's a sin or that it's wrong to do it. Just for me, I want to be moderate the Apostle Paul gave the admonition, let your moderation be known to all men. Be moderate and be so moderate that everyone knows that you're moderate. That's what I'm striving for. That's what I want in my life. I don't want to be one that follows the extremes. Right. Now, what we're watching right now is, again, I think going to extremes and here's the problem. As I said, it started among the charismatics, people who have no clue about spiritual things. I'm not throwing rocks. I'm stating facts. The majority of the charismatic movement has been fake Pentecost for decades. It's just been fake. There's been nothing real about it for many decades now. Now, early on, I can remember in the 70s when there really was a phenomenon going on. A lot of denominal people had been hearing about the Holy Spirit, quote unquote, and started seeking after it. And many of them received it. Even then, there was a lot of fake that started getting caught up in it. But it very quickly moved to majority fake. And there was nothing real about it. And I remember reading articles about people who said, yeah, I said, I, I go to the bar and smoke a cigarette. And, and then if, you know, if I really get to feeling some guilt about something, well, I'll just speak in tongues for a little while. And, and so you see this kind of thing going on. That's what the charismatic movement has been promoting for years. It's what they've been pushing for literally decades. And so when they start blacking out their walls and putting all of these lights and all of these graphic screens and they're doing all these things. This didn't come because of their relationship with God. This didn't come because they felt like God was leading them to do it. 
I can tell you now it came because we live in a world that spends most of its time being entertained. Sure. It's all about entertainment. And everything has become entertainment. And in the charismatic movement, church has become entertainment. Right. They've got to entertain the crowds. It's not about a real move of God. It's not about seeing the Spirit of God really move, change hearts, transform lives, because they walk into those service, do what they're doing, walk out. They are the very same people. They're still bound by the very same sins. There's no change in their life whatsoever. The only difference is they spend 30 minutes or 45 minutes in a service where they supposedly talk in tongues. So whatever trends they start are suspect with me. And yet I see people within the quote unquote apostolic movement and even some that are supposed to be conservatives that are buying into this wholeheartedly. They really think this is the way to go. But I can tell you now that any time that I have witnessed those services, there is a touch of God that's missing. There's a lack of depth that you just don't feel. I've been talking about this for some time. I've used this term doing the bunny hop. Right. And, oh, yeah. and if you see any of these videos of, of these churches, and I'm not throwing stones, I'm just trying to answer your question, but you watch these videos of these churches, and one thing that you'll see, I remember what it was when people used to really get lost in the spirit. Right. And the kind of worship that went on that just lost all abandon. They didn't care what they looked like. They didn't care what was going on. It was not choreographed. It was not even many times to the beat of the music. But they were so lost in the spirit if they were to see a film of themselves doing it, they'd probably be embarrassed because the looks on their faces, the expressions they're giving at that moment, uh, the way their whole body is just loose. And, and it's, it's a different experience where today you watch the whole crowd as if they're in a bounce house. Right. They're all on the same beat. They're all going up and down at the same time. And it's just standard up and down, eyes wide open, look at everyone else, look around at the crowd. The whole time you're jumping, that they say, this is a move of God. That's so far from the move of God that I was introduced to when I came into Pentecost in 1972. That little bunny hop that's become so popular doesn't even qualify to compare with the depth of the move of the spirit yes sir that i grew up on and these things seem to be paired there's something about well let's face it blacking out the walls adjusting the lighting putting these screens the first feeling when you walk in a building like that is not i'm in church right it's I'm in a theater. Right. That's what it is. And that's why I say this whole thing was born out of an idea and a concept of entertainment. 
let's darken everything else. And the only thing you see is what's on stage. We're making a presentation to you. You're the crowd. Now, some years ago, I preached a message to this church and maybe we need to dig it out and provide a link somewhere in the notes to the podcast or something. But, but I preached a message that I entitled an audience of one. And in that message, I explained to the church that we've got this so backwards in the way we look at a church service, because we think of the audience as the people in the pew. And we think of the performer as the one behind the pulpit or the ones on the platform. But that's not the way God wants it to be. And I know that because Jesus said in what we call the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said his prayer was that the will of God would be performed as exclusively and exquisitely here on earth as it is in heaven. So whatever's going on in heaven is the pattern that we here on earth ought to be striving for. Well, when you look at a worship service in heaven, you see God sitting on his throne and the angels around him. There is an audience. It's not the angels. Right. It's not the multitude that's there. The audience is that one seated on the throne. Hmm. And everything that's going on is being done for his pleasure. The performers are those angels. The performers are those that are worshiping him. And he sets as the audience determining whether this is a good performance or not. My, my. And when we think about that in light of the church service, we need to ask ourselves, when we black out the lights, when we're drawing everyone's attention to us, remember, Paul said no flesh ought to glory in God's presence. Right. And I'm telling you, what I'm seeing today is a performance. They've got the video cameras. And, and again, when they start doing all this, it's never just focused on the preacher. It's never just focused on the soloist. They're going to show a close-up of the pianist as he's doing his riff right. or, or the guitarist doing a riff or the drummer. You know, they're, they're going to they're gonna zoom in on his little special thing there and, and show you how talented this individual is. And then they might find someone in the crowd that's just really in tears right now. Or they're going to, to, to highlight various individuals. And that individual becomes the performer. And everyone that's watching becomes the audience. And we've got this thing totally backwards because we need to walk in here saying, I'm doing this for God, whatever I'm doing. And I'll never forget an instructor of mine years ago in Bible college making a statement. He said, I love to hear people that are talented sing. But he said, I'm telling you there's something special when someone steps up 
and takes a hold of that microphone. They might close their eyes. They're not looking at the crowd. They're not learning the hand gestures. And I see all of that, that they've learned this from some TV program somewhere or something. They've learned exactly how to make the motions, how to work their hands so they can work the crowd, the way to express themselves as they sing. He said, there's something about it. When someone steps up, just closes their eyes, they may get off key. They may hit a sour note but you know they're singing to God and the anointing of God comes on them. That is so much better than the greatest degree of talent that's out there. Absolutely. Yes, sir. And I'm not knocking talent and I'm not saying that we should not be prepared and I'm not saying we shouldn't do our best for God. We should, but I'm telling you, that most of what's being done today is not doing their best for God. They're doing their best for men. They are trying to please men. And don't ever forget another thing Paul said, if I seek to please men, then do I cease to be the servant of Christ? That's powerful. If I seek to please men, At the moment that I'm doing what I'm doing to impress humanity, at that moment, I am no longer Christ's servant. Wow. Because it's not my job to make humanity happy. It's not my job to impress the crowds. It's not my job to send out a telecast or a broadcast so that everybody can sit in their living room in their Spider-Man underoos or whatever <laughs> and, and just sit there and enjoy a great performance. Right. That's not what this is about. It's about coming in and pleasing God. David had a great performance in his first attempt to deliver the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. They had quite a performance going on. Sure did. But a man died because of it. And David realized this is all wrong. Right. And I wonder, brethren, how many souls Mm. are lost? How many souls are we causing to go to a spiritual death because we are so wrapped up in performance that we've lost that touch. We're no longer trying to make God happy with what we're doing. We're trying to please everyone else. We want everyone else to hear how talented we are. We want everyone else to hear how beautifully we sing. We want everyone else to know all the vocal calisthenics that we can do. We want them to hear everything, all the runs that we can play. We want them to know just how great we are. And somehow they walk away, they may be impressed with us. But if they're not impressed with God, we've just wasted our time and their time and God's time. I want people when they walk through our doors, do I want us to do our best? Absolutely. And you men have heard me say over and over and over, I want us to be five star. Yes, sir. Whatever we're going to do, I want it to be top of the line. I want it to be the very best that we can do. But in the midst of being five star, I don't ever want it to be that we are simply seeking to please people. I want it to be five star in God's book. 
I want God giving us five stars. I want God putting his approval on us. I'm telling you that rather than have the crowd stand and give a standing ovation, I want us to have such a service that by the time we're done, God is giving us a standing ovation. Yes, sir. I want God to be pleased with what we are doing. He's our audience. He's the one that we want to move. If we'll move God, if we can somehow touch God's heart, God will turn around. He'll bless us. He'll touch the hearts of others. You know, David was a man after God's heart. Everything David did, he wanted to please God. When he realized how wrong he was in the delivery of the ark, he started seeking God. God, how shall I do this? Tell me what steps I should have taken. Show me what I did wrong. Because it's not just in David's mind about bringing this box back to a location. It's everything that box represented. David wanted God's favor on Jerusalem. Because he knew if he could get God's favor on that city, God would protect that city. As long as God's favor was on Jerusalem and Israel, they didn't have to worry about any enemies. It didn't matter what anybody else did if God's favor was there. And so we've got to be careful that we don't start following these trends that take away from trying to find God's favor. And I'm convinced that everything you mentioned does exactly that. I believe it is more of an attempt to win favor with man than it could ever possibly be to win favor with God. The church serves as a beacon in a sin-filled world. The church has a duty to differentiate between good and evil, light and darkness. Join us next week as we continue this conversation and define who really is the audience. Thank you to everyone who has joined us for today's podcast. We want you to know that we are here to help you in any way we can. If there is anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to contact us. Send your prayer request to prayer at olathetruth.com. That's prayer at olathetruth.com. If you live in the Kansas City metropolitan area, we invite you to join us for our services this week. Sunday morning at 10, Sunday evening at 6, and Tuesday evening at 7.30. For those who cannot attend, we will provide a live stream on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, and our website, olathetruth.com slash live. Until our next podcast, take care and God bless.